Welcome to This Begs the Question, sometimes a story, sometimes an interview, sometimes a surprise, and sometimes a rant. In any event, meant to invigorate, innovate, and entertain you. I'm Lynn Eisenberg with a new monthly podcast, This Begs the Question. So what does that mean? According to Wikipedia, to beg the question is to put forward an argument whose validity requires that its own conclusion be true. Also called petitio principii, a fallacy in which a conclusion is taken for granted in the premises. Begging the question. I know, it's a mouthful. So let's get to it. This begs the question, episode two. For those in the know, episode one was supposed to feature two intriguing eight-year-old twins and what they've been up to during the pandemic, namely honing their skills at spelling games and learning new words like M for mischief and Z for zither. When they gave me E for a second time, I gave them the word expiation, which means making amends for guilt or wrongdoing, atonement. And then there's the word obdurate. I recently read that word in a media arts entertainment worldwide article by Subham Ghosh, where he writes, quote, while a number of other Republican governors also opposed the mask mandate previously, but changed their stance later, Kemp remained obdurate, which prompted Stacey Abrams his 2018 challenger in the governor's election, to say on MSNBC that the governor of Georgia, quote, continues to fiddle while Rome burns, end quote. Now, obdurate sounds like a close cousin to obstinate. And with the war of the masks in full swing, one can surmise that Kemp was being, quote, stubbornly persistent in wrongdoing, end quote as Merriman Webster defines it. On the other hand, I asked my 89-year-old mother in Ann Arbor, a former Latin major, she knew the meaning of obdurate right away and the difference between obdurate versus obstinate. Quote, it's like stubborn versus steadfast, explained my mother. Obdurate and stubborn both share similar meaning, but with negative connotations. Whereas obstinate and steadfast share parallel meanings, but with positive connotations, as in standing strongly with firm loyalty in your stance, end quote. Now, for full disclosure, I believe in the power of protective facial coverings, and I was veering toward a pugilistic response over Kemp's obdurate actions, but I couldn't, because in that moment, I was super impressed by my mother's knowledge and laser-sharp recall. In any event, These adorable, inquisitive twins and I were going to bring you some new words in the previous episode, and I would tell you the names of the twins, but as noted before, for now, I have to call them J&J, not to protect the innocent, but the guilty, because in this case, they are, which is why they still can't come on the show today. And that's because they've been grounded, and yes, they are guilty. And the sad thing is, they've been grounded for a whole month. 
This begs the question, what did they do to get grounded, and not just for one night, but for three whole weeks? For that story, you'll have to refer to episode one. In the meantime, for those wondering what happened next, after a long search, I was finally able to track down the Tooth Fairy. Yes, that supposedly mythical character who plays a vital role in the commonly shared experience of a child's rite of passage, the shedding of baby teeth. Of course, this begs many questions, which I was able to ask the Tooth Fairy on a phone call. You might wonder where I got the phone number for the Tooth Fairy. Google, I know, shocking, but it wasn't toll free in case you're wondering. I wasn't sure if it was a landline or a cell, so I asked the Tooth Fairy, where is Fairyland? She, he, they said, up in the clouds, but Google said somewhere near Brush, Colorado. I know, shocking, right? Who knew myths could be so accessible? But back to the story and figuring out why one twin's piggy bank was more full of money than the other. I asked the Tooth Fairy, the Tooth Fairy did, in fact, favor one twin over the other with more money. Or did extra money fall into one piggy bank by mistake? This line of questioning was quickly dismissed because I was promptly informed that fair and equal compensation is of the highest order in fairyland for kids in the same household. Although, according to Google, the value proposition tends to differ per region in the country. Kids out west are making out with an average of $4.20 per tooth, while kids in the east and south are averaging $3.90 and $3.19 per tooth, respectively. When I was growing up in Michigan, which is really the Mideast because it shares the same time zone as New York, however, that's another conversation. But if I recall, I got 75 cents for a tooth, maybe a dollar. But the tooth fairy said inflation caught up over the centuries. This begged the question, where does the money come from? The Federal Reserve? The World Monetary Fund? And lastly, what actually happens to all those baby teeth? According to the Tooth Fairy, they turn baby teeth into stars. Then they collect stardust that turns into gold dust that can then be exchanged at the fairy bank into currency that goes under the pillows. As my interview was winding down, I asked if we could zoom so I could take a photo and show it to the twins when they come out of the state of being grounded. But the Tooth Fairy said there's too much glitter and their image will remain invisible. So I won't be able to show the twins a photo of the Tooth Fairy. They may just have to take this conversation on faith. As for when I will get to speak to the twins and play spelling word games again, I'm watching the clock and wondering, what are they doing? I did get a clue on a social media site that will remain unnamed due to the boycotting measures going on, which is a whole other story. But back to the message and not the medium. It turned out that one of the parents leaked a post that Jay and Jay were learning the value of hard work by cleaning the kitchen floor, the old fashioned way, on their hands and knees, like that parent was taught. This got me to thinking about intergenerational parent patterns of parenting. Then I saw the comments on the post and I have to say, they were quite witty and humorous about similar shared childhood memories 
on the process of growing up. Everyone seemed to be taking a metaphorical seat in the balcony. Instead of getting riled up on stage and the unfolding drama of a child, hanging out in the balcony can provide a healthy perspective and, well, probably better parenting skills to teach those core principles around responsibility and work. Whether this cleaning of the kitchen floor lesson was because the twins spilled something that needed to be cleaned up or because they were practicing expiation for their obdurate or obstinate responses to their deeds of episode one remains to be revealed. In the meantime, we have to wait on hands and knees or in the balcony to have the twins on the show. And then hopefully we can find out their side of the story. Because as storytellers, we all know there are many sides to every story. This begs the final question of today's episode. Are the twins allowed to play zithers during their time out? Because if so, I'll send them one. And that's it for this begs the question. I'm your host, Lynn Eisenberg. Stay safe, stay sound, and wear a mask.